From the dawn of history, people have had to fight for what's good and what's right. That's a characteristic that will continue with human history until we enter the presence of God. We will have to fight for what's good and what's right. Even the first man and woman were confronted with a fight. In Genesis, the enemy came in with deception to take what belonged rightfully to man. And because Adam did not fight properly, we'll spend the rest of our lives fighting to regain what was taken. And from that first earthly battle between Adam and the serpent, we see the Bible is a book of battles from Genesis to Revelation. Fighting for what is good and what is right is part of our lives. And by the way, it is a normal part of Christianity. There are two kingdoms in opposition. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He is always at work in our lives to oppose what God wants to do. So you were born not into daycare or the nursery, but battlefield earth when you got here. And that's why God says, put on the whole armor of God. It's tough out there. Abraham had to fight for Lot and his family. He fought for his faith in God and the covenant that God had promised him. Joseph fought for his own life. Then he fought for the nation of Egypt and then for his own family to be saved from a famine. Moses had to fight. He fought to deliver his own people from Egyptian bondage. He fought to deliver them through the struggles of the wilderness. And although God promised Israel they would possess the land, they still had to fight for it before they could move in. Joshua came forward and led Israel in the fight for the promised land. Now, many, many people mistakenly say, well, if it's God's will, it'll happen. Well, it was God's will, Israel have the land, but they still had to fight to get it. And so will you. So will you. You don't get a free pass on this deal. You have to fight because you have an adversary. People fought for civil rights. Many gave their lives in order to get a normal, absolutely equal treatment under our Constitution law and the law of God that all men are created equal. But it wasn't true in society and in culture, and people had to fight for what should have been a natural right. That is a fact. The fact that we still have to fight is part of Christianity. Gideon had to fight. He first had to fight his own bad self-image, seeing himself unworthy, weak, unable. And God said, I am with you, O mighty man of valor. Then Gideon, with 300 men, overthrew the host of the Midianites and fought successfully for the freedom of his nation. Samson fought the Philistines as the Spirit of God came on him. David fought the Philistines who held Israel in bondage. This great king of Israel was a man of war. And if you remember, Saul lost his honor and the kingdom because he wouldn't fight. Nehemiah had to fight to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Daniel had to fight against political corruption and political corrupt officials in Babylon. 
Jesus fought the Pharisees and Sadducees and the religious traditions of his day. He fought sickness, demons, poverty every day of his life that he walked on this earth. In his death, burial, and resurrection, he disarmed, he spoiled principalities and powers and made an open show of them. Jesus Christ is the conquering, victorious king, and he's called the captain of our salvation. This is military language. Martin Luther fought religious tradition in the church at Rome, and he broke loose the Reformation to which we enjoy today. John Wesley had to fight. He fought the tradition of church and state. He fought against the apathy of a dying world. He fought for holiness and revival, and he changed the destiny and course of his world. At the turn of the century, around 1900, early Pentecostals had to fight to, write, to, to operate in the gifts of the Spirit and for the right to own a church building. Some of our parents fought in world wars. I know mine flew in World War II so that we could enjoy a free country. They fought and many gave their lives in the ultimate sacrifice so we could live in the land of the free and the home of the brave. What you and I are enjoying is not free. So I ask you this morning, what are you fighting for? We have what we have in the Bible and in our country because people fought and laid their life down for it. If they hadn't fought, we wouldn't have it. Much of the church has the old hippie 1960s mentality of apathy, peace, and flowers in your hair. Yet they enjoy the spoils of those who went to battle for them. God is a God of war. The Bible is a book of battles. And the Christian life is a fight of faith. What are you fighting for? Your health, your marriage, your children, your future, what? See, have you become a soldier in the army of the Lord? Or are you a flower child? I believe God's stirring us, church, at this time in destiny to fight for what is good and what is right and what is excellent. I want to have to fight for the will of God in my life. I'm going to have to fight for my family, for our nation, and for our world. I believe it's the call of the Spirit of God to the church to rise up and fight the good fight of faith. Exodus chapter 15, verse 2 and 3. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him a habitation. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. Verse 3. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. So God leads his people in warfare because we must fight for what is good and what is right. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. You know faith is a fight? You, you just, Rick, I came to church for some peace. What is all this fighting about? Some of us gotten to the point we think if there is a fight, I must not have any faith, right? See, if I had faith, there'd be no fight. But the Bible says faith is a fight. Well, Rick, I feel so bad. I've got financial problems, family problems, physical problems. I've been praying and believing, but it's not changing yet, and I feel like I'm in a fight. Well, that's it, brother. That's faith. Faith is fighting for what is right, what is good, what is biblically yours. It's not saying presto, changeo, abracadabra. But many believers feel like if the situation doesn't change in 10 minutes on Sunday, then we don't have faith. 
but fight the good fight of faith. That's what faith is. It's fighting for healing when it's a struggle and it doesn't seem to be there. It's fighting for prosperity when the money doesn't seem to be there. It's fighting for peace in your home when it seems like everything is against you. Faith is fighting. To say I have faith and I wouldn't have to fight, well, that's unscriptural. Having faith means I'm willing to fight for what is right. The person who fights against the trials of life is not the person with weak faith. They're the ones that have strong faith. The person who won't fight, who gives up, who turns away, that's the person with weak faith. You know, fighters are faith people. No, I'm not going to let my child stay in this problem or this sickness. No, I'm not going to let my marriage end in divorce. I'm going to fight. I'm not going to let our church stagnate and become another bunch of pew warmers. I'm going to fight for the Spirit of God to move in our church. No, I'm not going to let my life be selfish, self-centered, all about me. I'm going to give. I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to serve to make a difference in my world. I'm going to fight for it. I'm going to use all I have to change my part of the world. Now, I, you have to ask yourself, is that the kind of person I want to be? Faith is a fight. Now, here's one you don't put on your refrigerator. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. Thou, therefore, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus. Hardness. Did you hear that? You know, when you go to combat, you don't get Chateaubriand. You don't get a hot shower, a jacuzzi. You don't get air conditioning. You don't get laundry service every day. It's nasty. It stinks. It's awful. And so he says... Sometimes you got to endure hardness. But Rick, it's so hard. Ask people in combat. Of course it's hard. I can give you some horror stories right now from friends who've been in combat. And God says, endure some spiritual hardness. There will be tough times in your life. It won't feel good. You won't be saying, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You'll be hanging on for dear life. Wondering, are you going to make it or not? And a lot of us today shy away from hardness. It's, it's hard. We say, must not be the Lord. If it's the Lord, it'd be easy. Where'd you read that? I must have missed that one. Church, God's a God of war. He doesn't lead us into the easy life or sloth. He'll lead you into battle, into combat, and the battle, battle will be hard. But there's one exciting thing. You will win if you follow the Lord. He tells us over and over to be consistent, to be faithful until you reap the harvest. You have need of endurance, endure hardness. You have need of endurance that after you do the will of God, you might obtain the promise. Nobody said it would be easy. Jesus didn't promise you a hot spouse, a gated community, a late model car. Now, you may get that, but that wasn't his promise. He said, you're going to have one heck of a ride. It's going to be a crazy adventure, and there's going to be trouble all the way. Nobody said it would be easy, but I think a lot of people have the mentality that, you know, to, to walk with God means our life is going to be easy, soft, air-conditioned, and comfortable. But the Bible says endure hardness. So i got to reckon there must be some coming. Endure hardness. Rick, man, I've been trying to avoid hardness, avoid the challenge of service. Avoid the challenge of commitment. Avoid the challenge of giving. 
Avoid the challenge of ministry, giving up your life occasionally for others. Avoid anything that's hard. It's hard to be a small connect leader. All these wild, radical people coming into your house, eat everything in the house, mess up everything. Some of them bring more kids than they bring adults. That's hard. But whether a thing is hard or not is never the issue. We're commanded to endure hardness as a good soldier. I don't care if both of you glow in the dark. I don't care if you speak in tongues, if you give 30% of your income to the Lord, you get married, you're going to have some hard times. Then you have kids, you're going to have some more hard times. It never stops. You have a dream. You have a destiny. You, you have a promise from God. You'll have to fight for it. You won't find anybody where God says, here, no trouble, no adversary. No, every promise is a fight. Every one of them. Somebody lied to us and didn't even tell us we were in a war. Well, you know, when I was in the, grew up in a little Baptist church, I think the way they quoted Ephesians was, we wrestle not. We don't wrestle anything. We didn't have a clue we were in a warfare that we had to fight that we had to confess God's word, that we had to come back against the enemy. See, we're not here to find an easy way. We don't want a maintenance mentality. We're not keepers of an aquarium. We're fishers of men. And this is hard. The fact the thing is difficult doesn't mean you're out of the will of God. It's probably a good sign you're in the will of God. Soldiers who run from battle are never honored. They don't get medals. They are dishonorably discharged. So he says in 2 Timothy 2, 4, no man that goes to war entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he might please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. See, what is, it is so easy in this world to get entangled, and it may not even be bad stuff, that it just takes you out of the fight, takes you out of God's purpose for the kingdom, and now the enemy says, well... Yeah, he's having some pleasure, he's having a good time, but he's out of the way. He's no threat to me. He's no advance of the kingdom. I've had several friends over the years, 30 years in this church, uh, maybe three who were extremely rich, not wealthy, rich. And I can tell you sadly, I didn't see one of them complete the journey in the kingdom of God. They got entangled with more houses, more, more planes, more, uh, more trips, more vacations, more purchases, more fancy cars until the enemy just wrapped them up. Not one of those things is an evil thing, but it is when it gets wraps you up and takes you out of the fight. What if we're in combat and you're over there engaged on your little smartphone in some game? You're over there doing something else, engaged in doing anything but the fight. And I'm thinking, dude, get back in the fight. Load that gun. Help me here. You can't be entangled with everything else. So you can enjoy life. You can enjoy things. Enjoy the goodness that God gives you. But for crying out loud, ask yourself, am I getting entangled? Are my boats and toys taking me out of the kingdom of God? Because it sure did, my friends. Just wrapped them up and took them out of the fight. So do you want to please God in your life? Or, I mean, I want to hear him say at least this, well done, good and faithful soldier. You did what I made you to do, well done. That's about it. I believe pleasing God's more important than getting my house paid off, getting my yard mowed, 
You know, when my house and boat and toys are more important than pleasing God as a soldier who endures hardness, my priorities are wrong, period. Paul said, don't get wrapped up in the affairs of life. If you can't drop your toys to fight for God, you're in bad shape. If we can't leave our comfort and pleasure occasionally to do the will of God, we're finished. Ephesians 6.10, finally, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Why? Because you're going to need it. Remember what he told Joshua? Hey, Josh, you're going into the promised land, so let me have a little chat with you. Be strong and very courageous. Oh, did I say, let me say that again, Joshua, four times in a row. Be strong. And if I'm Joshua, I'm thinking, why do you keep saying be strong? Because you ain't seen the size of those people, and you hadn't seen the size of those walls. You hadn't seen the price of gas. You hadn't seen racial discrimination. You hadn't seen anything, boy, yet. You just wait. So I'm encouraging you right now. Be strong. Don't wilt on me. Don't fold on me. Don't get intimidated on me. I will be with you. Every place your foot shall tread, I'll give you the land. But be strong and very courageous. And you're going to have to do the very same thing. Remember, we're not fighting our mate, our boss, the government, or our neighbor, but we're actually fighting principalities and powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. That's what we're told. For though we walk in the flesh, we don't war after the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And some of you are thinking, fight? i got to find a church where I can rest. Hebrews 4, verse 11 says, Let us labor to enter into that rest. Labor to enter the rest. See, if you don't fight, you never get a victory. If you never have victory, you'll never have peace. And if there's no peace, there sure won't be any rest. Now, if you fight in the flesh, you're going to burn out. You'll make statements like, can I ever do enough? Will I ever be good enough? Well, that means you've left the spirit and you're in the flesh. That'll wear you out. I hear the word spiritual burnout too much. That's a misnomer. You can't be spiritual and burn out. How can your spirit burn out? Your flesh can burn out. Your emotions can burn out. But your spirit can't burn out unless God burns out. The fight of faith, spiritual warfare, is hard, but you won't burn out. See, it's the anointing of the Spirit that breaks the yoke. My wife, Cindy, is so anointed with the Holy Spirit, she can't even cook eggs because the anointing always breaks the yoke, and I know that's awful. I know it. (laughs) Spiritual warfare. She doesn't make me eggs anyway. She gives me cereal. Spiritual because it's quick and easy to get rid of me. Spiritual warfare is always fought with faith, with God's word, with vision, with prayer, holy boldness, and in love. These tools of warfare will not wear you out. Now, let me close with this all. We're fighting for excellence. We're fighting for excellence in our walk with God spiritually, physically, financially, mentally, emotionally, in our marriage, in our jobs. Psalms 8 verse 1 says, O Lord our God, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set your glory above the heavens. So he says, how excellent is thy name. In the Bible, a person's name described his nature, his character, his being, his personality. When God changed Jacob's name to Israel, he went from cheater, heel grabber, supplanter, to prince with God. 
It changed his character. It changed his life. So when the Bible says God's name is excellent, it means he's an excellent being. His character is excellent. His personality is excellent. Everything he does is excellent. When God creates, he creates excellence. Uh, uh, I was thinking, when Boeing makes a new airplane, when Detroit or manufacturers come out with a new car, they always have a recall. Something wasn't right. They have to modify something didn't work right. One of the doors came off the Boeing. Huh. We've got to go back and readjust that. Something didn't work right on the car. Now they've got to recall it, modify the part at, at great expense because it wasn't perfect the first time. When God does something, he does it perfect the first time. Whether it's marriage or life or health, everything he does is perfect. Now, you get man in it, and he'll screw it up. But God does it right the first time. It never needs modification. So he creates excellence. If you look at the world around you, it's excellent. When God provided salvation, it was excellent, total, complete. Uh, well, Rick, you think God forgave me completely? Well, let's just say God forgave you 99.9%. Then you'd have to change Isaiah 1, verse 18, to read, He'll make your sins, though your sins be as scarlet, red, they shall be slightly pink. I don't want mine to read that way. They shall be white as snow. He does it perfect and complete and total. When God created man, he was an excellent being. By the way, over coffee, wouldn't you like to meet the first man and first woman God handmade? Okay, men, wouldn't you like to meet the first woman God made, handmade, perfect? Now, you didn't marry her. God did make her. And even though they were perfect, they screwed it up. So relax, you know, I'm trying to say, but I've often wondered, wonder what they look like. I was talking to the new member class, and I said they were both made. Adam was made out of the dirt, and the wife was made out of a the rib, and I thought neither one of them came through a birth canal, so they probably did not have a belly button. You heard that first, right here. You heard that. <laughs> they, didn't they didn't come out of a birth canal, so they didn't have an umbilical cord. Now, their kids did, but they didn't. Those are deep things you might want to talk about at lunch. I mean, I never hear anybody talk about that stuff, but it's really important to me. So man was excellent. <laughs> and I thought, boy, when God does it, he does it really good. But I'm a son and a daughter of God, and so are you, if you're a believer in Jesus. And here's what he says to us in Ephesians 5, verse 1. Be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. We're to follow him and be like him as much as we possibly can. We're to be excellent people, not mediocre people, not get by, bump along people, not duct tape and, well, good enough is good enough. That's not what I read. You come into the office Monday morning, you got a smile, not a pickle face. You, you've always got an encouraging word. When bad things happen, and they will, you see a way through. You're optimistic. Others look for an easy way. You take the right way. Why? My heavenly Father is excellent, and I am imitating him. I'm fighting for excellence in every realm of my life. 
Psalms 36, verse 7. How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men will put their trust under the shadow of your wings. Hey, I can trust an excellent God. Psalm 76, verse 4. Thou art more glorious and excellent than the mountains of prey. He's an excellent God. I'm trying to pitch this to you. I hope you can see it. Psalms 148, 13. Let the, let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is excellent. So what kind of a God do we serve? An excellent God. What kind of work does he do? Excellent. Yeah, how about you? On your job. Well, good enough's good enough. Get by, get by. Just enough not to get fired. Really? You think if Jesus worked at Starbucks, he'd give you a bad cup of coffee? Or it'd be hot? It'd be mixed just right, and he, he, he would understand the stress of the day and different people coming in with their different orders. I think I'd get it excellent. What if he was a subcontractor, and he put a nail through your plumbing, and, and they're framing it up? You think he'd just say, it ain't going to matter. They'll sheetrock it, and I'm moving on. No, I think he'd fix it. It'd be excellent. I mean, it ought to be. It isn't, but it ought to be that a, a believer in Jesus in any walk of life, in any career, is going to be truthful and is going to be excellent. And if it isn't done right, he's going to walk over at his own expense and say, undo that and make it right. That is not right. Fix it. Bill Lear did that to the first Lear jet at his own expense, ate it, because something wasn't right in the first commercial private jet aircraft, which people said couldn't be made, and now everybody uh, flies them everywhere in the world. But he, to his own credit, refused to allow something to go into production that wasn't right. You think Detroit will do that? I don't think so. You, you think the average subcontractor is, is, is waiting for Friday, a, a brown bag of beer, and getting drunk is caring whether he did a good job on your house or not? I don't think so. I know we built two, so I can tell you, no, they don't. But if I'm, if I'm experienced and that's my job, I ought to be excellent at it. I mean, you can, you can be clean, you can be neat, you can be excellent. You don't have to be the smartest person in the world to be excellent. Your yard can be excellent. Psalms 150, verse 2, praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Say, come on, church. Let's fight for excellence in our walk with God. Let's fight to be excellent people, not mediocre people, not apathetic people, not laid back, lukewarm people, excellent people. Show up on time. Do what you said you'd do. Be a committed person. Take responsibility. Why? That's a keynote of excellence. Don't you like to be treated with excellence? I'd hate for a surgeon to open me up and say, well, I don't know. That's good enough. <laughs> no. No, I'm believing and hoping and trusting he's going to be excellent. That's not right. Fix that. Do this and do that just right. And that's true. That is so true. You know, that may be our greatest evangelistic tool in the end times, I think more people will be impressed with your excellence, how you treat others, how you do your job, than all the tracks you can stuff in people's face if we fight for excellence. See, the world says, man, you're different. Your lifestyle's excellent. When I see you and your kids, you know, not perfect, but excellent. When I look at you and your home, whether it's rented or owned, it's excellent. It's neat. It's clean. 
Listen to Proverbs 12, verse 26. The righteous is more excellent than his neighbor. We ought to be able to ride through a neighborhood and say, oh, he's a believer, he's a believer. Well, Rick, how do you know? They're more excellent than their neighbor. Look, their yard looked like a weed patch. Broke down cars, beer cans in the yard, screen door tore off, bondo on the bumper. That couldn't be a believer. Yeah, probably is. Probably went to Summit. <laughs> They'll have a bumper sticker on there over the bondo. God is my co-pilot. I know. Say Buddha is my co-pilot. Don't blame God for your sorry uh, life. But it's a fight. It's spiritual warfare. And... When I had that rotator cuff surgery four months ago, that should have been a piece of cake. But as a lot of you know, I had that violent reaction to Traumadol and whatever the anesthesiologist gave me to knock me out for 50 minutes while they did the surgery. And that created adverse reaction that I have never had in my whole life, ever. And here's what I'm trying to say to you. It didn't go away quick. I shook. I had panic. I had, uh, I couldn't eat. I mean, couldn't eat. You talk about a good diet. I could not eat. Not a hunger pain in my body. Nothing. I couldn't do anything. And I, I, I said, take me to the emergency room. I, I got to get help. This is crazy. This is not me. And my son-in-law, who's a surgeon, took me over just for preventive sake. They did a flu test. They did uh, EKGs. They did blood tests. They did urine tests. They, they took me upside down and said, you're perfect. Yeah, but I messed up. Yeah, but you're not sick. You're having a chemical reaction. So my son-in-law, Adam, did a little scroll on his smartphone. He started reading off side effects of this drug. And I looked at him and I said, after about number nine, I said, you're kidding, aren't you? He said, no. He said, I'm just reading and you got every single one of these side effects. Then he did something. He figured the half-life, you know, uranium has a half-life, how it, how it lessens its effectiveness over time. Well, medicine does too. And he figured, I figure with the dose they gave you, It'll take five to seven days to come out of your body. Now, this is what you don't want to hear. I can't do anything about it. I can't give you anything. I can't fix you. You've got to endure this hardness until it leaves your body. Just keep flushing, just keep flushing. And I'm thinking as an American in our fast-paced culture, I want it now. I'm on the Burger King. I want it my way, and I want it now. But it was not going to come that way. And that was the thing I had to do, suck it up and endure it. You say, was it awful? It was beyond awful. Walk in the floor at 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 couldn't lie down, felt claustrophobic, panic, had to walk. All part of false signals sent from my central nervous system to my physical body, false. But I couldn't help it. And sure enough, just like he figured that half-life, at 7 Days at 5 p.m., bang, hunger hit me. I mean, I wanted French fries. I wanted onion rings. I wanted Whataburger. I wanted anything. I had a voracious, it came on me that fast. And I knew that moment, it's starting to break. Spiritually, in warfare, it doesn't go away quick. Once in a while, you get a quickie, 
but not generally. You're going to have to lean on it and lean on it and lean on it and war against it until you have need of endurance that after you, having done all to stand, you've done everything right, stand. Oh, we don't want to hear that. No, get some big spiritual giant to pray for me. Well, I did, and it didn't help. So what do you do? You keep standing. You keep standing until. It's just that, it's just that simple, and it's just that hard, right? So it's really important for us to, uh, to understand that we have an excellent God, and if we're going to get what God promises in the Bible, we're going to have to fight for it. We don't want to compromise. We don't want to drift into apathy and passivity. I don't want to be a good loser. So I'm going to fight that enemy of compromise. I'm going to fight for excellence. And that's important. And I believe some of you do too. I'm going to pick this up next Sunday uh, a little deeper, a little tougher. But I thought it'd be good if we close this service by doing some very powerful warfare confessions. I hope you're okay with that. So this morning, let me ask you something. If you need health or healing in your body, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. Just stand up right where you are. And we're going to make some confessions together. And I want you to open your mouth and proclaim it with me. Shout it. Don't mumble. This is your life. And God has given us only one weapon, my sword, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And Jesus, when he faced the enemy, quoted Scripture. When we face our adversary, we quote Scripture. That's how we do it. It's part of warfare. So I want you to say with me, say, Lord Jesus, I make this confession in faith. Believing you are my Lord and Savior. You are my great physician. You are my healer. By your stripes, I am now being healed. By your precious blood, I have victory over every sickness and disease. Father, you have set before me life and death. I choose life. You have set before me blessing and curse. I choose the blessing. I will not fear, for you are with me. Your word is my strength, my fortress. You are my high tower. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I will praise you. I will declare your greatness. I will bless your name forever. Those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I shall not die, but I shall live and declare the works of the Lord. I praise you, Lord, that the victory is mine in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now with a good shout, you can be seated. Those of you that may need guidance and protection, maybe you're under some sort of a, a, an assault, maybe it's even legal, I don't know, uh, or you need guidance facing a decision as to what to do, stand to your feet. We're going to pray. Remember that God is the high priest of our confession. He's going to watch over our words, so I want to make sure He's hearing His word as we declare it. Say, Heavenly Father. I make this proclamation in faith believing. You are my light and salvation. 
You are the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked come against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies stumbled and fell. Though an army gathers against me, my heart shall not fear. In this will I be confident. I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. For in the time of trouble, you will hide me in your pavilion. You will set me on a high rock. You will lift my head above my enemies. You are my glory and the lifter of my head. Therefore, I will offer the sacrifices of joy. I will sing praise unto the Lord, for the victory is mine today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now give him a little praise, and you can be seated. Those of you that need help in a new beginning in your finances or prosperity, I want you to stand. Maybe it's in your business. Maybe it's in your personal finances. I want you to stand and make this proclamation with me. Heavenly Father, I make this proclamation in faith believing. It is the Lord who gives me power to obtain wealth. It is the Lord who will plant me by rivers of living water. My leaf shall not wither, and whatever I do shall prosper. You will make me the head, not the tail. You will give me houses I did not build, vineyards I did not plant, and wells I did not dig, because I have honored you with my living and giving. My harvest will return to me exceedingly abundantly above all I can ask or imagine. My harvest will be pressed down, shaken together, and running over. I will be blessed going out. I will be blessed coming in. I will be blessed in my basket and in my store. God will force Satan to restore to me sevenfold all that he has stolen. My harvest is coming. It is abundant and it's from God, the giver of every perfect gift. So I thank you today, Lord, for a new beginning. Amen and amen. Now, I'd like us all to make this last confession. If you don't mind, if you're able, stand up with me, everybody. And I love this. This is victory over all things through the blood of Jesus. Say, Lord Jesus, I make this proclamation in faith, believing that I overcome Satan when I testify personally to what your word says the blood of Jesus does for me. Through the blood of Jesus, I am redeemed out of the hand of the enemy. Through the blood of Jesus, all my sins are forgiven. There is no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. Through the blood of Jesus, I am continually being cleansed from all sin. Through the blood of Jesus, I am justified, made righteous, just as if I'd never sinned. Through the blood of Jesus, 
I am sanctified, set apart to God, and made holy. Through the blood of Jesus, I have boldness to enter the presence of God. Through the blood of Jesus, Jesus is interceding on my behalf. Satan has no place in me, no power over me, no legal claim against me. It has all been settled at the cross. Through the blood of Jesus, I am free. Now King David said after his proclamation, therefore will I offer the sacrifice of joy in his tabernacle and I will give praise to the Lord. So for 30 seconds, let's do it. Lord, thank you. By your stripes we are made well. Thank you. You give us power to obtain wealth. Thank you for healing in our physical bodies. Thank you, oh God. Nothing is too difficult for you. We praise you. You are an excellent God. And all that you do is excellent, oh mighty God. Thank you. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. Nothing is too hard for you. Now with our heads bowed for one more moment, just one more. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus who defeated death, hell, and the grave, who loves you before you knew him and invites you to call on his name. He wants to be your deliverer, your savior, your healer, your comforter, your guide, your provider. What's the condition, Rick? I must ask him. I must invite him into my heart. That's all. For whosoever, that's anybody, shall call on the name of the Lord, that's Jesus, shall be saved, as right now. And if you've never called on his name or you're not sure, let me include you in my prayer. Nobody's going to come to you. I'd just like to know to include you in my prayer. If that's you this morning, just slip a hand up real high and take it down. Just slip it up. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Up high, up in the balcony. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. See, you, you can either live by default or you can live by design. And God wants you to live not from crisis to crisis, but he wants you to live by design. And you starts by acknowledging him as your Lord and Savior. So my last prayer, I want everybody to pray so our friends can pray boldly. Say, Lord Jesus, I confess you are the Son of God. I believe you died for me and rose from the dead. Come into my heart as my Savior and Lord. Forgive my sin and give me eternal life. Thank you. It is a gift, and I receive it today, not because of any work I've done, but by your grace. Thank you. I have a hope and a future. Thank you. You'll never leave me or forsake me. You are all I need to defeat the world the flesh, and the devil. So I give you praise in Jesus' name. Now one more big shout, amen, and amen. Glory to God. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.